Thanks, Laura. And thanks, guys. That was great worship. And thanks for all of you for being here. Um, yeah, I think we're wondering whether people would have been blown down the hill or blown up the hill. So well done. You get double points for being here tonight. I was working out that I have been, I reckon, a Christian for 44 years. Come on. No way, I hear you say. You're, not, you're way too young. No. Oh, well, there we go. Missed that one. And, um, you know, doing the job I do now, um, people often ask me, was I, like, brought up in the church? And the answer is no. I was never brought up to go to church. Uh, my parents always discouraged me from uh, being too religious. Um, my testimony is that God found me roughly about the age of 16. And, um, you know, it was um, lying in bed one night thinking, well, what's, you know, what would God want to do with me? I was uh, playing rugby and all that sort of thing. And uh, look at my All Blacks. My friend Jeremy brought me back, all the way back, genuine, back from New Zealand. There we go. You know, and, and I was thinking, you know, why would he want me with all the, you know, bad things I've done when there's all these good people? And just into my mind came a Bible reference, literally, John 3, 3, 4, 5, boom, boom, like that. And I just sort of looked, and I had one of the old Gideon Bibles, and, uh, and it was a story of Jesus um, and Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, and uh, who said, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And he said, you must be born again. So I thought, wow, something, somebody's trying to tell me something here. And uh, anyway, the long short, and a couple of, you know, a few weeks later, I remember it was in a meeting, our school Christian union, and a guy just explained the gospel very simply. And I remember at the end saying, God, I think you're real. If you are, please come into my life. And having this experience of, like somebody, you know, like when you're carrying like a heavy rucksack and you like put it down and you feel half the weight, something like that. I knew something had been lifted. So, you know, I've, um, and that was my testimony 44, sort of 44 years ago. So I've sort of been walking with the Lord, you know, sort of um, since then. And over the years, you can imagine, I've heard lots of sermons. Some of them have been great. Some of them, quite a lot of them, have been boring. Some of them were pretty wacky. Most have been forgotten. But one or two that I've heard over the years have stayed with me. And one that I remember that I still remember to this day was one I heard when I was just 20 years old. That's just a couple of years ago, you know, that sort of thing. And I remember it because it was, um, I, w I was visiting a church that my friend used to go to, and they had a guest speaker of a guy who'd been a missionary for years and years in, in Africa. And it was quite interesting because he told the story about two characters in the Bible who both have the same name. And they're both um, in the book of Genesis. And it was, it was um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of explain to you a little bit what I heard from that guy many, many years ago, and then unpack it for us today. And these two people, in the book, both are found in the book of Genesis, were both called Enoch. One of them is found in Genesis 4.17. God, you're good. And that's great. And Cain's wife conceived and bore Enoch, and he built a city, and he named it Enoch after his son Enoch. Cain, if those of you who know the story, who had just murdered his brother Abel, had been cast out of the presence of God. He had a son, and his response would be to build a city and name it after his son Enoch. Can you imagine, where do you live? I live in Leo, you know, sort of thing. You know, whatever, that's sort of a, that's the sort of thing it is. Leoville, that's it. There we go. But there's another Leo, who, another Leo, another Enoch even, who's found a little later. In Genesis, in Genesis 5, in fact, Genesis 5:21, and this is a separate Enoch, and it says this: When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah, and after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God for 300 years. My word, he was old. 
And he had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more, because God took him away. So in contrast to his namesake, the other Enoch, this Enoch didn't have a big city named after him. But what it says is this, he was a man who was faithful to God, and he walked with God in closeness and intimacy so much that God actually took him. The writer of the Hebrews says this in Hebrews 11, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so really what stayed with me from this, this, um, this story from this old missionary guy all those many years ago is these two Enochs give us a great picture about what is really, really important and where we put our focus in life and really what our objective is and what we set our heart to achieve. And the question is this really, do we want to be like the first Enoch and have a great city named after us, you know, Andyville on sea, and like that first Enoch, achieve fame and notoriety sort of outside of the active presence of God? Or by contrast, do we want to press into knowing God intimately, the reward being that when we get to know God well, remarkable things happen? And on the surface, the first Enoch sounds quite alluring. After all, who doesn't want to be a superstar? Having a big name. You know, in our culture today, loads and loads of people ch chase that. If you look at X Factor, Britain's Got Talent, Big Brother, or I'm a Celebrity, or any of the other reality TV shows, there are many people who are wannabes, or many people who want to be wannabes, and yet others who want to be what they used to be. And some people, and so many people actually, we see, and a lot of this we see in the media, are people who are desperate to be someone. But what I remember that old missionary preacher did, he went on to talk about the other Enoch who pursued God. He pressed into getting close to him. So much so, he got so close to God's house, if you like, God just said, hey, just come and step right in. And I remember at the time, as this guy was preaching, having one of those real aha, those light bulb moments. And sort of my brain went like this. So, if this God I'm following is really real, if he is really the ultimate in the universe, then my goal, logically, must always be him first. As Matthew wrote in his gospel in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And what I've found for all these years of being a Christian, my experience of this, you know, is that when you put God first... He never, ever, ever shortchanges us. 
And those of you who know me um, for a while, and I've said this to some of you, you know, I, before you know, getting ordained about uh, eight or nine years ago, um, you know, I worked in business for nearly 30 years. You know, I had a big job. You know, I did, um, flew around the world doing big deals. I met some cool people, stayed in nice hotels, you know, flew on aeroplanes in some of the better seats closer to the front, eaten at some fabulous restaurants, got the opportunity to go scuba diving on some amazing tropical coral reefs. And some people say, wow, you know, that was good. But in my experience, none of that and nothing like it beats knowing Jesus, experiencing his power and his presence, and seeing him at work in people's lives. It's one of the reasons why I stopped being a businessman and became a vicar. Nothing in the world has comes close to the pearl of great price that is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, I had lunch with someone a while back, um, a student, and uh, he said to me this. He said uh, that the culture that we live in today, that many young adults are in today, is actually really negative. That social media can be incredibly critical and damaging to people's self-image. And people are always trying to be better and to portray an image that is sort of airbrushed or to hide away for fear of being criticised. The lead singer of Coldplay, Chris Martin, said this, that when the pandemic happened, it said it forced him to reassess his relationship with fame. He said it was quite an eye-opener. I was like, who am I without Wembley Stadium saying you're awesome? I'm trying in my life right now not to attach too much from being a pop star. I'm trying not to get my self-worth from external validation. And I suppose the question really is from this, if we think of the two Enochs, you know, which, you know, which is where is our heart? Where do we get our validation from? Some research recently, and some of you again have heard this, say that people in the current culture get our validation, get our self-esteem from three places. The three Ps, if you like. They're from our possessions, what we own, from prestige, people's opinion of us, or from pleasure, our experiences. But then this research wants them to say that it's when our self-worth is equal to our net worth, that's when we are in trouble. And I'm not saying it's wrong to try to do well in life, whatever that may mean, or Eve, but it, it, what it says is instead of trying to get a city named after us, rather if we set our minds on the power and the presence of God, walking with him, finding out what pleases him, then what we find out is we get to know who we are and how valuable we are. Because instead of hearing it from a fickle audience on social media or in the real media, that often changes its mind as often as it changes its shirt or its t-shirt or whatever like that. Instead of hearing from a fickle audience, we hear it from the source of all truth, which is Jesus Christ himself. And that's one of the reasons here at 5 p.m. we want to create a place where we can all encounter God and get closer to him. Because it's when we're there in the presence of God, our striving dials down, and we realize that we are loved for who we are, not for what we can do or from what we possess. So how do we do it practically? How do we, if we think, yeah, I want to be like that second Enoch, the one who walks with God. How can we get that closeness with God? Well, I'll just say four quick things that we can explore together. 
The first, and we've been doing it when we started, is worship. It's the first commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul. And there's something about worship, especially in music, that when we press into it, we enter into God's presence. And that's why, here at 5 p.m., we put worship front and center. It's our highest value to be able to have a space, create a little place, if you like, in the busyness of the week where we can meet with God. And it's really good. We're blessed with great worship leaders and musicians. And, you know, you know we, we don't want to be, you know, the uber slick, ultra present, you know, ultra pr- um, pr- produced and all what have you. What we want to do is to be authentic and to worship the Lord with our heart, our mind and our strength and invite us all to join that. Because when we press into worship, we touch something of the divine. It's like For those of you who do physics or engineering, it's like a resonance. It's God's frequency. And when we worship, we hear some of that resonance back from heaven. So the first thing is we worship. The second thing is we develop the spiritual discipline of honesty before God. I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, when we pray, we think we have to pray in a certain way. Or if we're having a really, really, really bad day, we think we need to get over it before we can come to God. Or if we're feeling really angry with someone, sometimes we have to stop that before we can, you know, tell him our feeling. And if that's you, I would say, take a look at the Psalms. Because I think the Psalms are full of people who are having a bad day. You know, they are really, really, really honest. Sometimes brutal honesty when have you ever prayed, oh God, smash their hairy crowns? You know, Lord, kick their heads in. I'm so cross with them. You know, it's there in the Psalms. Oh my word. I'm not saying God did it, but the guy prayed it. There we are. And the thing is, this is because our faith is lived out in the reality of life. And as we know, life is sometimes good, but often it sucks. And that's it. And God knows that. Which is why when you look at the book of Psalms, he's got 150 Psalms in there, which tell us about the joys when we praise and the downtimes when we go and we lament. So the Psalms show it's okay to lament, to come as we are. And the reason is because God knows anyway. So however you're feeling tonight, whether you're feeling really on top and just bursting with praise and thanksgiving and all that, or actually... After a whole couple of weeks of exams, you're feeling a little bit flat and, oh my goodness, I'm so glad that's over. I never want to do those again. Or whatever it is, God knows where you are and where you are is okay because he'll take you from there and he'll lead you forward. All he asks is be honest. So we worship and we are honest. And the third is ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, One of the things we want to do, and we've done it a little bit, is to give space for the Holy Spirit to to meet with us, to to maybe just to help us, to encourage us, to do whatever, fill us, to heal us, to refresh us, whatever it is that we need. And there's something about when we meet together in the presence, in the spirit of worship, as a community, and we invite the Holy Spirit to come, that God comes and he does something special. Now, the Holy Spirit's always with us, but the way I liken it to is, you know, if we're in the sunlight, you know, the the light is there, it's all around us. But when you get a magnifying glass and you focus it, there's an intensity of, you know, that does something above and beyond what normal sunlight does. 
And that's often what happens when we ask the Holy Spirit to come. And that's why we want to, you know, at the end of the service, just give some time and we might be standing, we might just say, come Holy Spirit, and we don't want to embarrass anyone or, you know, we don't make people line up and push them over or anything like that. What we do is we just, in a very low-key, natural way, say, no, just receive and maybe someone might pray for you or invite you to get prayer. The reason we do it is because we know prayer works. And we don't want to sort of over-dramatize it, but we do want to give time to do it. And we've got loads of stories, God speaking and healing. I've shared some of them, you know, with that. And, and over the years, I've just seen loads and loads of them. But what I'd like to do is invite, well, Godson, do you want to come on up? Because just here, in the midst of our little gatherings and what we do, God also does, in a very low-key way, some cool things too. So just give us, tell me what you told me this morning, Godson. So just say that. Yeah, there was a there was a week that um, the preacher uh, said um, someone was having a pain toothache on the right side. Uh, I mean, that was me. I knew it was me, but I I was too embarrassed to you know come outside and say someone should pray for me. You know, so I, w- I left that week, and um, I believed that it couldn't have been me. It couldn't be me. But throughout the week, I was it was the pain got worse, and uh, I came back the following um, week, and you know I low key spoke to someone with a badge, like I said. And uh, yeah, said a word of prayer, and I actually didn't know when I got healed. And after some weeks, I realized, oh, I was having to take uh, at some point, and it's gone. So I remembered, and I saw Andy this morning. I asked him, "Do you remember the day? You know, someone said someone had a toothache. I oh, I forgot it was me, and I forgot the toothache was done. So I just told him this morning, and That's feels good. Yeah. That's brilliant. Thanks, mate. That's brilliant. Good job. Thanks, mate. So just say, you know, just, you know, little old us, you know, that's great. God will use us to, yeah, just uh, help someone with a, you know, with a toothache. So that's why we always say to people, you know, we might ask God for some words of knowledge and we just invite people, if that's you, just come and find one of us to pray. Not because we want to be, you know, sort of like one of those trendy God TV type of churches, you know, I'm going to get my white suit and my helicopter next or whatever like this, my gold watch and stuff. None of that. Just what we want to do is to find, let people experience the power and the presence of God. So we worship, we're honest, we give opportunity for the, minute, the Holy Spirit ministry. And finally, we do this together, we do this in community. And, you know, there are many reasons why, again, you know, next to worship and whatever, we've, we've made community one of our top values at 5 p.m. It's because there are lots and lots of isolated people around. You know, isn't it amazing? University of Hertfordshire, what is it, 35,000 students. Yeah, there's probably lots and lots and lots of lonely people. It's easy to be lonely in a crowd. And what we want to do here is to be a place where together we can journey together towards Jesus. But knowing that when those times when we're a little bit down, there are going to be people there who can pick us up. And the other reason we need community is because we need each other's gifts. For some reason, God has given us, each and every one of us, a little fragment, you know, a charism is what the, uh, the, the theologians call it, something of the Spirit that we all bring and we bring together and when we all sort of like kind of give it away other people get blessed so i need ye men you know i need jonathan you know i need molly you know i need charlotte not caroline as i called her last week from the front embarrassingly you know we need emily whatever it is god has given you i need andy you know i need isaac jeremy need rue all of what you've given god has given you something that I need, that we all need, 
And God has given me something you need. And it's together that God wills for us to get a slightly bigger picture of this side of glory. And that's why we really also just want to emphasize community, which is why we're talking about the small groups and uh, doing things as well. Because if we do that, it means, you know, together we get a bigger vision of God. So, as we come into land, we want to press into the intimate closeness of God because he is the pearl of great price. When we do this, we know that we're loved unconditionally. There we go. We know we're loved unconditionally. It's in him that our hearts find satisfaction. It's in him we find the thing that our hearts crave, the rest that we could only find there. And this is in intimacy and worship, in honesty, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and in the context of community. So, you know, the question we always have is, which Enoch do we want to be? Do we want to be the one with the big city named after us? You know, that's what the world offers. It rarely delivers, but it offers it. Or do we want to be the one with such a close walk that we just enter deep into his heart? And it's there that all of our longings are satisfied. Well, of course, because I'm a preacher, I hope it's the second one, you know. But, um, you know, my, my hope and prayer for us here at 5 p.m. at St. John's and all that is that we do encounter the power and the presence of God because he is the pearl of great price. And that's, like I say, where the longings of our soul are met. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we do. We yearn to be close to you. And Lord, I know that it's often sometimes a struggle when we live in such a a world which has got so much of a, a media presence, Lord. You know, to see the stuff that it offers and say, and go after it, Lord. But I pray that by your spirit, you draw us to you. You draw us closer. You draw us deeper. Yeah, we say that, you know, we know that it's only in you that we find the true peace, life in all its fullness. And Lord, I pray for a greater revelation. Come, Holy Spirit. Show us more of Jesus and the Father, we pray. In his name. Amen. Amen.